take our Bibles, and we're going to go over to the book of Colossians again. Colossians chapter number 3 this evening. Colossians 3. Last week we covered the end of chapter 2, and we kind of flowed into chapter 3 just uh, for the sake of context. Of course, when the Bible was originally written, it wasn't divided necessarily by chapters and verses like we're accustomed to today. In fact, this book and so many others in the New Testament were written uh, as letters, and, uh, and letters didn't necessarily have real clear dividing lines like we're accustomed to. And so in order to really understand the flow, sometimes you've got to jump over into the next chapter or the previous chapter in order to get the context as it is intended. But tonight we're going to begin reading in Colossians 3 and verse 1, and then we're going to go on down through verse number 10 tonight. Last week, uh, in considering the, the last section or last portion of chapter 2, we looked at that subject of touch not, taste not, handle not, and really uh, the admonition to beware of legalism. But we also kind of balanced that out and tried to understand both sides of, of the issue of legalism versus license. But tonight we're actually going to delve into the other side of that. And as, whereas last week was, was primarily focused on don't be caught up in any teaching that has a profound focus on the flesh, such as legalism, which focuses on our fleshly and carnal attempts to please God, our outward service attempting to change something inwardly as opposed to allowing the inside to change the outside. That's one side of a carnally focused person. The other side is that carnally focused person who says, hey, I'm saved, I can live however wicked and I want to because God won't take care or, or has already taken care of that and so he won't care. And so uh, we, we looked at that from the lens of don't be fleshly focused. That was the idea. Now, the other side of that coin is be heavenly focused, right? Don't be, don't be focusing on the flesh, focus on the spirit. Don't put your, your passions into things that are temporal, but rather into things that are eternal. So tonight we're going to look at the eternal perspective, and we're going to deal with Christians and holiness. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time tonight as we read verses 1 through 10 of Colossians 3. It says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Then listen to this, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time, when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, 
filthy communication out of your mouth? Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Thank you. You can be seated tonight. I gave you the context of what we looked at last week because it's important for understanding now the flow going into chapter 3 this week. Oftentimes when we look at verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, we are emphasizing the idea of uh, our, our love, our desires ought to be on eternal things. And that's certainly true. It's certainly contextually accurate. It kind of goes with that same concept that we looked at just a couple weeks ago in Matthew 6, where Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, right? And, and so it's that idea of uh, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Look toward eternal things. And that's often what we focus on when we're looking at this passage of Scripture. But if you remember the flow from where we were last week and the concept of, uh, uh, of the fleshly focus of, of legalism, touch not, taste not, handle not, and, and the reality that we need to not be fleshly in our thinking, but to be spiritual in our thinking, this is just a continuation of that thought. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. In other words, take your eyes off of the things on this earth, and this world, and, and, and set your affection, your love, your desires, your passion, uh, your interest on, on eternal things because things have changed in your life. Now, while last week we really emphasized the reality that we ought not be legalistic in our approach to obeying God, the other side of that tonight is I want you to know, and the Bible wants you to know, that if you are a child of God, God expects out of your life true holiness. He wants you to be holy. And so this idea then that, hey, you know, I, I'm saved and, and, and so I'm, I'm holy in God's eyes and that's all that matters is not really accurate. And it's not true. Because... Now that I am a child of God, there is an expectation of me to live a holy life. God wants me to look different and act different than I did before I was saved. And so when we, when we consider this, I want you to notice his appeal and, and, and really what he, is, what he is saying here is he is encouraging them to live a life of holiness and, and even describes what that looks like. In, in just a few verses, but as he's admonishing them to live a life of holiness, I want you to notice to what, what he points to as the reason. He says in verse 1, if ye then be risen with Christ. In other words, if you, are, if you are born again, if you have been saved, you ought to live a holy life. He first points to our present condition. You, as someone who has been forgiven of your sin, who has actually, you were, according to the Bible, dead to sin, or, or, or dead in sin, right? We've looked at that in the last few weeks, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins before salvation. Now that we are in Christ, though, we are dead to sin. 
And so everything has changed. We were dead in sin. Now we are alive unto God and dead to sin. And so because of this reality, we ought not live as we used to live. Hold your place here, if you would, and, uh, and go back with me to the book of Romans in chapter number 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. We could really read the whole chapter, but we won't take the time to do that tonight. Romans 6 and verse 11, it says, Likewise reckon... Now, some of you are more southern than I am, but I don't use the word reckon very often, okay? But to to reckon literally means to consider, to think on, to to meditate on something. And, And he says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so now that you have been delivered from sin, you are to reckon yourself dead. You, you are to remember or to recall and, and, and to bring to your mind that you are no longer in sin. You are now in Christ. And so we are dead to sin, but now we are also alive unto God. Isn't that wonderful? I was dead to God. I mean, I was spiritually dead. And death has to do with separation. And I was separated from God. That part of me that even is able to communicate with God was was cut off because of my sin. And I was dead. Until I was born again, at which point I became alive unto God. And so because I am dead to sin and now I am alive unto God... Paul says we ought to live differently. After all, everything's changed. Notice, though, as we go back to Colossians 3, the very first word of the verse is if. It says, if ye then be risen with Christ. Now, the the word if obviously is conditional, isn't it? It it has to do with uh, whether or not something is so. If this, then that. If ye then be risen with Christ. Now, there are a couple aspects to that. One is, this is a challenge to really examine yourself whether you're in the faith. In other words, uh, okay, you say that you're a child of God. Is there any evidence of that? And actually, we're admonished several times in Scripture to really examine ourselves and, and check out our salvation. We're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Not that we work for it. But listen, I've I've really tried to admonish people before. You know, don't just look at yourself and say, well, yes, I'm saved because of a prayer that I prayed when I was four or five, six years old in a Sunday school class. You could have gotten saved there. I got saved as a child. But I also want you to know that there were some things in my life that God had to do over time to really make it clear and obvious to me that I am his child. And I'm thankful that my assurance doesn't rest in a profession that I made, but my assurance rests in the finished work of Christ and the evidence that there has been a true, genuine conversion in my life. And so there is a time for this statement, if... And I say it, you know, I, I, when, I, when I preach to you, often I'll say, if you're saved, if you're born again, why do I say that? Because I don't want to just presume that everyone who is listening to me is truly born again. 
You say, well, I've been in this church my whole life. That doesn't matter one bit. This church will not save you. It doesn't matter how long you've been here. This church cannot save you. Those baptismal waters cannot save you. The only thing that can save you is Christ. And there are many people who believe themselves to be saved when they're not really at all. And so there is an if. This is kind of a challenge to really examine yourself. If ye then be risen with Christ. But I also believe that not only is it a challenge to examine, but it's really a call to remembrance. Right? Like, like if you were to say to me, you say that you love your wife, but the way that you talk about her is always negative and derogatory. If you really love your wife, you ought to speak highly of her. You ought to speak of her with kind words and appreciation. Right? Now, it's not necessarily that you're questioning whether or not I love my wife, but you're basically saying, hey, listen, let me challenge you on something. If what you say is so, it ought to be reflected in your attitude and in your words and the way that you act. And so, so this, is, this is not only a challenge to say, hey, are you risen with Christ? But it's to say, if you are risen with Christ, then you ought to look like it. You ought to live like it. Something should be different about you. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead. This is your present condition. You were dead in sin. Now you're dead to sin. And your life is hid with Christ in God. What did Paul say in Galatians 2.20? I am crucified with Christ. In other words, I am embracing, I'm identifying with his death. Who I used to be, I am crucified with him. When I got saved, I took up the cross with him. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I am living, my life is hid with Christ in God. I'm dead indeed to sin, alive unto God. Look at verse number 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Isn't that wonderful to know? That there is a day that Christ is returning. And when he returns, I'll go to be with him. Isn't that good? When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. I mean, this is, this is my present condition. I'm in Christ. I'm alive in Him. I have a relationship with God. I mean, I walk with God. I pray to God. He speaks to me through His Word. This is a reality in my life. However, something else that's a reality in my life is that I have not yet seen Him with my eyes or heard Him with my ears. Now I can say, as the Bible does, whom having not seen, I love. I'm thankful I'm able to love him and to know him. But friend, there's a day that's coming that my faith is going to become sight. And my eyes are going to behold him. And I will be with him 
when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. This is a, there was an appeal, first of all, our, about our present condition. What we are in Christ ought to influence the way that we live. But now he's saying our future position ought to influence the way that we live. If you really are saved, not only are you saying that you are dead to sin and alive unto God, but you are saying that one day you will be with Christ in glory. And by the way, to be with Christ in glory is to be perfected in holiness. You're not going to sit there with Christ in his presence, acting and living in the sins of the flesh that you did prior to salvation. Those things are not going to be there. In fact, to be with God, to be with Christ, is to be separated from sin. I'm looking forward to heaven, not just because of all of the blessings that come with it, mostly because of the presence of God and and, and being able to be in His presence. But, But I think that one of the greatest things about heaven will be that I will be finally, once and for all, perfectly sanctified. No more sin. No more struggle with my old sinful flesh because my sinful flesh will be gone. I'll have a new body. I won't have the struggles that I have anymore. I will be perfected in holiness. If I am confident that that is my future, then why would I go about living a carnal, unholy, and wicked life here? I say that I'm saved. That's my present condition. If you are saved, you ought to live like you're saved. You say that you're saved and you are on your way to heaven to be in the presence of God, glorified with Him... And if that is true, then seek those things which are above. You are called to a higher life, a holier life. Go back to the book of 1 Corinthians, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. And here, Paul is appealing to a bunch of carnal Christians. And look what he says, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. 
All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. What is he saying? Don't you know that all these sins that I've just listed, idolatry, adultery, fornication, covetousness, all of these things that I just mentioned, that's the reason that the unrighteous are on their way to hell. The sin of this world is sending people to a Christless eternity in the lake of fire. And if that is true, and by the way, such were some of you. Prior to salvation, I was some of these things. Which ones? It doesn't matter. If I keep the, the whole law, yet offend in one point, I'm guilty of all. So I was all of these things. And so were you. And if that is true, that's who I was. And now I've been delivered. I've been washed. I have been sanctified. I have been justified. Then why would I, like a dog returning to his vomit... Go back to the very things that Christ died for. Go back to the very things that are sending people to hell. All things are lawful. Yes, I can get away with things. But all things are not expedient. They're not beneficial. And by the way, it doesn't make sense. I mean, this is, this is the most contradictory uh, situation in, in our world today that someone who is born again, alive unto God, would choose to live a life of wickedness and unholiness. It makes no sense. The flesh and the spirit are contrary one to the other. So he's saying, if you're saved, don't go back to these things. Look at who you are. Look at what you will be. So based upon that, he says in verse number 5, mortify therefore. Based on all these things I've said, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Now this speaks of our, our body, but it's not, not just our physical body. It's not saying that we are to somehow harm ourselves physically. That's not of God. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And by the way, any, any thought of harming self, I'll tell you, that does not come from God. We are to mortify or literally to put to death the things in our lives that would draw us away from God. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Now, we've been speaking in general terms about holiness. You know what I've found? Sometimes when you talk about holiness, people will say amen. People will agree. Until you start getting into the specifics of what holiness looks like. Well, Paul's about to get into the specifics. And here's what he says. First of all, fornication. Fornication does not belong in the life of a believer. What is fornication? The word fornication comes from the Greek word pornea. It's the word from which we get the English word pornography. And it speaks of any sexual sin. Whether that is 
acting sexually outside of marriage, before marriage, after marriage, uh, indulging in pornography, whatever it is, any sexual sin, God says it does not belong in a Christian's life. Can I tell you a statistic that I have read recently that ought to make every one of us sick? There was a survey done among churches in a pretty general sense, okay? Not, this wasn't just independent Baptist churches, okay? This was churches in general across this country. You know what they found? 70% of the men in churches regularly viewed pornography. 70%. Over 50% of pastors. Folks, this isn't just a small problem. This is an epidemic. This is the, 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 the Bible says that we are to abstain from, from worldly lust, from fleshly lust, which war against our soul. Could it be that the Spirit of God is so grieved by the, the unholiness and the wickedness in the lives of His people that it's actually hindering the work of the Lord in our midst? I just want to tell you, I don't care what the excuse is. Oh, it's normal. Oh, it's okay. No, it is not okay for a child of God. It is to be put to death. It does not belong in the life of a believer. Period. Fornication has to go. The Bible says, let it not be once named among you. You're dead to that. You're alive unto God. Your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. Mortify, therefore, fornication. Then he gets a little bit more general. And he says uncleanness. Uncleanness has to do with anything that is unholy, unclean, or displeasing to the Lord in our lives. It, it may not be the big sins that we would look at, but it's just things that we know are not becoming of children of God. And, and we are told to put away from us uncleanness. I would say to you that there is a lot of uncleanness today in entertainment, the entertainment of the world. There is not much in the way of television and movies that is suitable for a Christian today. I mean, let's just be honest about it. There is uncleanness. There is wickedness. And we laugh at it. And the Bible says fools make a mock at sin. The world's music is unclean. Oh, preacher, I don't listen to the really bad stuff. Turn on the radio and find good stuff. It's pretty hard to find. Oh, I don't listen to all that really, really bad, you know, hard, heavy rock or rap that uses profanity and speaks of sexual things. I just like to listen to country music. That talks about alcohol and immoral fornication relationships. 
and all kinds of uncleanness. Oh, but, you know, that stuff doesn't matter. No, listen. Fornication and uncleanness needs to go. God wants holiness. Notice the next one, inordinate affection. Do you know what inordinate affection is? It literally means love out of order. It, it has to do with sometimes we could say loving the wrong things. But sometimes it's not even loving the wrong things. It's just loving the right things not enough. Or loving things that don't necessarily need our love and affection as much. And, and, and placing a higher value on that. For instance, anything you love more than God is an inordinate affection. Husbands, anything that you love more than your wife, a hobby, a relationship, a job, it's an inordinate affection. Your love is out of order. You don't have your priorities in line. You want to know a, 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 what we might consider a silly example that I see as a major issue in our society today? You'll, you'll probably laugh at this. People treat their dogs like human beings. Oh, this is, this is my baby. This is my fur baby. Come, come here. Come to mommy. Come to daddy. Listen, I, you might love your dog. That's fine. But it's a dog. I mean, I'm just saying that that might be silly, and I know we kind of laugh at that stuff, and I'm not, I'm not being judgy in your life. I'm just simply saying, why do we get our love out of order? People matter more than animals. God matters more than anything. Family is more important than your job. Serving God in the New Testament church is more important than your hobbies. I mean, we just, we get our love out of order. We put our affection on things that they don't belong on. And when that happens, guess what happens? Our life isn't pleasing to God. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, inordinate affection evil con concupiscence. This is loving the wrong things. This, this has to do with Giving your passion and time and effort and affection to things that are not of God. Things that would not be pleasing to God. Concupiscence has to do with lust or desire. It's not always a bad thing. In fact, the same word for concupiscence is... is uh, it, Jesus himself used it as he, he, he spoke of his desire... So concupiscence is not wrong, but evil concupiscence is. Wrong loves, wrong desires don't belong in the life of a Christian. Notice this, covetousness, which is idolatry. Have you noticed this? Okay, I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. I don't rob banks. I don't steal. I'm not that bad. 
Why is it we never talk about covetousness? You know what covetousness is? It's desiring something that God has not provided you. It's driving past a house that's nicer to yours and in your heart think, man, I wish I could be those people. How many of us can honestly say we don't struggle with covetousness? We all do. I drove past a really nice pickup truck yesterday that I thought, man, wouldn't it be nice? Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to look at things and say, boy, that's really nice. You know, maybe someday God would allow me to have that. But when we start to actually desire it to where we just, we've got to find a way to have that. We, we, we've got to go after these things. It turns to covetousness. We say, well, that's not a big deal. What's the problem with that? Let me tell you the problem with covetousness. Notice what he says that covetousness is. He says, covetousness, which is idolatry. Whoa. Idolatry, that was the sin that always got Israel into trouble. That was the sin that caused God to kind of turn his back on them. That was the sin that led them into captivity. And actually in 1 Samuel, he equates idolatry with witchcraft. Satan worship. Wow. Covetousness? Yeah, it was the 10th commandment. Remember that? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, his manservant, his maidservant, so on. Thou shalt not covet. Last commandment of the 10. Why is that a big deal? Ultimately, covetousness is an expression, even if it's just in our heart, it's an expression that God's provision in my life is not sufficient. Therefore, I must go after this. I need to set my affection on that so that I can have what I don't have. He says it needs to go. He says these things, verse 6, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Again, these are the things that are sending people to hell. In the which ye also sometime, walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these things. And we're just going to very quickly go through these. Anger. Oh. Someone cut me off in traffic and made me so angry. My wife said this to me. It made me so angry. Oh, you wouldn't believe what happened at work today. I just, I, I got so frustrated and so angry. We say that stuff all the time as though it's no big deal. No, it's a big deal. Anger is destructive. Anger sets, uh, it's a bad testimony. Anger leads to the next thing, wrath. Wrath is a vengefulness. Wrath is a, a, a pouring out of our anger. Wrath is where I say, because you did this, I'm going to do this. It, it, wrath has to do with uh, someone does something wrong to us and we strike back. We try to cause them harm or hurt with our actions or with our words. Malice. That's a bitterness within the heart. 
Where to, put, where to put this stuff off? It doesn't belong. Sadly, it happens. It happens in churches, and it happens in so-called Christian homes. Where these things happen between husband and wife, uh, mom and the children, dad and the children. It's wrong, folks. It's sin. It's sin. Let's call it what it is. Blasphemy. Well, I don't blaspheme, really. God said, I'll not hold him guiltless who taketh my name in vain. Well, I don't use God's name as a curse word. Yeah, but how often do we lightly esteem the name of the Lord? I purposed in my heart a long time ago, I'm not going to tell any jokes that include God or Jesus in them. God is greater he deserves more than to be included in my jest. Blasphemy, folks. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Telling an off-color joke. Using bad language. We're to get rid of all those things. Lie not one to another. We're to be honest. All of these things, we can say, are, are a reflection of the old man, the old nature. And if we be risen with Christ, they must go. But notice he says, lie not one to another, verse 9, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. There's a principle here that as a child of God, we are not just commanded to not do certain things and to do certain things. But actually, he says that we are to put off all these things and put on the new man. It, it, it has this idea of a changing of clothing. You put off clothing and you put on clothing. Now, there have been multiple times where our boys have been outside playing, and they've come in the house just dirty and filthy, and we've said to them, uh, you go straight to the bathroom and take a shower. Clean that off. I don't want that kind of dirt and mud in my house, right? And you know what's happened sometimes? They'll go in there, take a shower, and come out wearing the same clothes that they wore outside. Now, what good did the shower do them? They've been cleansed, but they're putting on the same clothing. So you know what they need to do? They need to put off that clothing and put on new clothing. Now, I don't simply tell them, take your clothes off, right? We got ladies in the house. We're not going to do that. Don't run around naked. <laughs> you don't just take clothing off. And you know what happens sometimes? I think even as preachers, we have to be careful that, that when we preach on some of these things, we don't simply say, quit doing this, stop doing this, stop doing that. What happens? You create a vacuum. 
well, I, I'm going to try to stop doing this and try to stop doing that, but it only lasts for so long. So what has to happen? You replace it. The bad has to be replaced with the good. The, the old clothing has to be replaced with clean clothing. And this is what he's saying. You, you put off the old man and you put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Okay, so Christian, put off fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, uh, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lying. Get rid of these things, but what are you to replace them with? You're to replace them with the new man, the knowledge of God, a relationship with the Lord. It is renewed in the knowledge in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Our theme for this year is abide. Abiding in Christ. And we've equated that with walking in the spirit. It has to do with, with, with living life in submission to God. In fellowship with God. And allowing him to work in you and through you his desires. And if you will put off the old man and put on the new man by abiding in Christ, there will be a replacement of the clothing. If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. So tonight, can I just simply ask this question? Are you living as a child of God? Seeking holiness, setting your affection, your attention, your passion on things above, on eternal things. Is your salvation affecting your daily life? Are you continually and consistently putting off the old man and putting on the new man? If ye then be risen with Christ... Your life ought to show that. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. 